fired up. I'm fired up. I got my whiskey. It's a drinking episode. We've got our podcast back after a full month of being off. And we have a great guest, a returning guest to talk basketball. Ian, who is coming back to the podcast to join us today? I mean, I'm definitely thrilled to be back. I'm thrilled this guy's back. Joshua Howe, everybody, is back. Writer for Raptors.com, Sportsnet, Raptors Republic, all around Raptors legend, Joshua Howe. What's going on? Wow, you guys are off for a month and then your first move is to bring me back on? I don't know about that. It's a dangerous play, guys. That might be the most risky thing uh, around the trade deadline that I've heard of so far. So We like trade risk. deadline. I mean, draft. Oh, my draft. goodness. Yeah, I'm already getting mixed up here. It's been so long. You're already six months down the road. The, Ra- I, the, Ra- the Raptors are already two games over 500 and you're trying to figure out what direction they're going to go. <laughs> but we're going to get to the yeah. Raptors, but we're going to start with the NBA Finals. Full transparency. Mm-hmm. We were supposed to do this podcast last week. Mm-hmm. Um, things happen. People are busy. It happens. So we're going to touch on the NBA Finals just a little bit where we had the Suns in four go to the Suns drop four straight with the Milwaukee Bucks, the Deer District coming out in game six with a win josh i see your face i'm just i'm laughing at the deer district thing man it's just so <laughs> funny like all everyone taking every chance they can to slander lives in toronto talking about how it's not jurassic park it'll never be jurassic park it's just it's fun i i love that it was hilarious uh what are they saying we as as toronto people and raptors fans we get upset about the most random shit <laughs> yeah. like there's no reason for us to not like bucks fans but for whatever reason like we're always fighting with buck fans you know what i mean like I get it. You guys didn't like that Drake was rubbing Nick Nurse's shoulders. But other than that, like, there's no real beef there. And yet, if you really just break it down, they just didn't like that we won. Had nothing to do with Nick Nurse's shoulders. It was just that they were losing. But Giannis wins 50-piece in the final game. Chris Paul had it, and then he didn't. So let's start here, just general, Josh. Your overall views of the finals, if you can even remember it. What were some of the biggest takeaways that you had? good or bad from either team um the biggest thing for me was that like this was finally the Giannis series in a way that just none of the other series had been before and this was something i've talked about for quite some time and just when when discussing like narrative right and we talk about players like Giannis, and you know everyone's always like well he's he's not lebron right a guy like that even though he's not a steph curry even though he is on their level. He is a top five player. He has been that guy for years now. He's a two-time MVP, two-time defensive player of the year. Well-deserved. Um, you know, all the talk about like, yeah, you can't give Giannis the ball in the last five minutes. You, you, you know, all these things like that, whatever. Um, and I always was curious about partially um, the discussion of his narrative being based around the series that he had in the playoffs, you know, you do what you do in the regular season and eventually people forget about it if you don't back it up in the playoffs. And all the series the Bucks would win, they tended to win handily. And then when they lost, they would lose in pretty dramatic fashion. And of course, you know, everyone was waiting for Giannis to be that guy to show up and say, okay, it's my time now. This is my series. I'm taking over. LeBron game six against the Celtics type of moment, right? Right, right. exactly, right? A moment you could point to and say, that was it. That was the moment. I remember him. I'll never forget it. And he just, you know, he took that moment. He went with it. You know, he did that multiple times during these playoffs. And there's now multiple games in my head where I think of like, man, yeah, Giannis just, he just decided it was, it was time to be the guy. He took over. Um, There were times against the series in Brooklyn. uh, And there were times uh, obviously in the finals and including, and none more so important than uh, the final game. And I mean, I mean, just, Dropping 50 to clinch your first NBA title at home. Um, I mean, and, and, and not just the scoring. Like, I mean, and he couldn't be, I mean, he was hitting fall away mid range jumpers. This guy was on one. He hit all of it, you know, almost all of his free throws. Oh, yeah, um, the free throws. Like, like just insane. Did you guys see that one bar that was saying, like, we'll give you a shot every time Giannis gets a free throw? I bet they killed like 15 people. Like, <laughs> yeah, like they're still in hospital recovering. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like that, like, you know, he just, he was incredible. The defense, I had four or five blocks in that game, um, you know, and, and just, you know, coming off uh, uh, the game in which he had the, the most, one of the most insane blocks I've ever seen on DeAndre Ayton's alley-oop attempt. 
Um, just just a dominant uh, series uh, playoffs game from him. And I mean, honestly, that that game, um, you know, that game six, it's right up there with, uh, you know, the most dominant individual performances I've ever seen. Like for me, up to this point, I've always said like the best game I've ever seen individually um, was t- uh, 20. Boy, I'm always gonna. I'm now gonna get it mixed up in the two years. I think it was Ron game one versus the Warriors. Yeah, the was that 2018 or 2017. I'm blanking. 2018. 2018, right? Yeah, game one, and the everyone JR forgets because the, the JR game. Yeah, but yeah. LeBron has like 51. You know, um, you know, eight and eight or whatever it was, and uh, just against the you know completely healthy, uh, you know, KD Warriors, and just Cleveland should not have been in that game. It's like Kyle Korver, J.R. Smith, those guys as LeBron supporting cast, and he has them right there. And that was one of the, that was at the time I was that was the most impressive individual performance I'd ever seen. This Giannis game it rivals that for sure, and they won the game too. So, yeah, I I I think the most interesting thing about the I, I want to talk about the Giannis narrative because that is important. Yeah, but the the dominance when a big dominate dominates a game, it's so it feels so much different than when a wing. Or a, or a small guy dominates a game. When a big guy dominates a game, it pops out to you because it's so brutal and it's so it's a physically dominating performance. You feel they it. Impo- you feel Giannis impose. It, it feels harder, right? It imp- he imposes his will, and it's like I broke you. You know when Steph goes or Clay Clay for example game what is it game 6 versus the Thunder 2016 and he goes for x amount 48 or whatever he got and he's hitting threes all over the place that was dominant but it but it's different you know what i mean so like i haven't seen a performance like this since we saw peak shack you know what i mean like that is the level and you know we sort of laugh off shack but that's one of the 10 greatest players ever so you know this is a guy who is who's doing that stuff. And about the Giannis narrative, you know, we do this and we shouldn't. Every great player has a flaw. Now we've, you know, we've sort of gotten to the point where, you know, maybe, you know, Michael Jordan didn't have a flaw, but we all know that's not true. Every player has a flaw and we pick at that flaw and pick at that flaw. But Giannis has felt fatal, right? You know, Tim Duncan's was for the longest time. Well, he can't really shoot free throws all the time, you know? And, you know, every player since then, well, Steph Curry, how can someone that small dominate a game on this stage, right? Every great player, right, or whatever, right? Every great player has that, whatever that is. And there's a certain amount of players where whatever that flaw is, is not, it's impossible to overcome. Allen Iverson was like that. You, You cannot win a championship with a guy that small, that limited on defense and everything that comes with Allen Iverson. All time great, obviously. His flaw felt fatal. And for some for someone to do this and have this performance and break our brains like Giannis did, it was so, I don't know, it felt like empowering in a way. That like this, this player that this flaw was so fatal was able to flip the script like that. And now Giannis retires tomorrow. Not only does he waltz into the Hall of Fame, we got to start talking to him as like a top 20 guy. <laughs> It's yep. the turnaround's incredible. And like kudos to him because if people are counting in the background when he's shooting free throws or whatever, he just, he just stayed with it. And God damn, I wish he was a Raptor. <laughs> we were right there. That was, that was one of those uh, moments too, where it really just was like, you know, he's like 26. He's in his prime. He's so hungry, right? Everyone always talks about Giannis's work ethic, how, in, how insanely intense it is. Sure. They had to like pull him out of the gym kind of thing to get him to go home and rest. And you could just see in that game that like he was the guy that, that like, you know, and, and we might talk about Chris Paul for a quick second because, you know. Oh, we will. That, re- that really sucks oh, there. And, and I had some interactions with people about the injuries and stuff. And they're like, ah, everybody has injuries. And it's like, Chris Paul's injuries at 36, they're pretty significant. Like, they were affecting his game to the point where it was obvious, right? Um, Giannis, the hyperextended knee thing is, is insane still. That was, um, it's unfathomable. He's, a, he's an alien. It's, he's un- an, it's, it's an alien. alien. 
I only well, had one point about Giannis, and uh, go ahead, Josh. Continue. Yeah, it's, it's, was... the, it's the it's like the prime LeBron thing, right? Like he goes down, you're like, wow, that looked pretty bad, and then he gets up, and a minute later, he's fine. I'll, it took him a couple of games, but like, I mean, he hyperextended his knee, um, and like, but but this was the game where just like I, you could just feel it, right? You saw it, and at home, and at the beginning of the game, course, it's a little, you know, everybody's got the emotions. It wasn't pretty to start, and then you're waiting to see which you know, which of the guys are going to take over here first. It's game six. The teams have largely kind of figured each other out by this point. And all of a sudden Giannis starts like getting to that gear of like, okay, like, you know, it's one game to win here. And like, I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to wait and see if other guys are going to come with me. I'm just going. And if they get there, which they did, right. Chris Middleton hit some big shots there down the stretch. He was clutch Um, all playoffs. Yeah. And uh, and that, that was kind of it. He just, he took it and he ran with it. And like, that was the moment, um, that, you know, made me smile watching saying like, this is, here's the legacy moment. The first of many, I'm sure legacy moments, um, that yeah, will be ever, all ever of this that we've seen is real. It's all yeah. real. Right. It just yeah. feels, you know, it, it, all of the, all, all the thoughts that we've had about Giannis when he won his MVPs are all validated. I, right. That's and, a nice yeah. feeling. And yet I'm also, as a guy who came into this, we did, uh, Josh, before we did the, we did our playoff preview, we did bandwagon teams, right? We had guests on and we did, you know, who are we cheering for now that the Raptors are out? Mm-hmm. And mine was the Bucks. Obviously, okay. I am not as engaged into Raptors Twitter as my younger brother is. So mm-hmm. I have no ill will towards Bucks fans in any capacity. I took the Bucks as relatable to the Toronto sure. Maple Leafs, which is... In the tr- in the regular season, and yes, everything has to come back to the least with me. It's <laughs> it's one of my fatal flaws. In the regular season, they can look dominant. Things work for them, right? It was kind of Raptors esque, where in like in tran- like Pascal Siakam esque in transition. This is a transition team, but then as soon as you get to the playoffs, it's a half court offense. Giannis made basketball look hard in the playoffs. He made basketball look easy in the regular season. Mm-hmm. I always feel that way with the Leafs. They can be the most impressive, talented team in the league during the regular season, and then they get to the playoffs, and it's like, oh, we've played a different game. We can't do that. So I sympathized with that, and I like the guy. I wanted him to succeed, and I, so I was cheering for him for the legacy because I didn't want this LeBron-esque cloud hanging over his head, short of you know, Giannis wasn't followed around since he was 13 like LeBron was, but he was starting to build that. To Ian's, I think Ian's fatally flawed point was, was great. But Giannis made basketball look hard in the playoffs because he doesn't have a mid-range game. It has to be transition. He doesn't always go, I'm the tallest, biggest man on the court. And yet in that finals, especially in that final game, he made DeAndre Ayton his son. He made every player on that son's team his son. No, no pun intended. Yep. So uh, again, I, the, I, I should have been cheering for the Phoenix Suns. They're the upstart team. They're fun. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, they, fun all around. But I found myself cheering for the Bucs, and it was all because of Giannis. He deserves every piece of it. We're going to get to the supporting cast in just His, a minute, but I do want to pivot to the Suns. One thing, yeah. one thing really quick. Giannis' most impressive achievement of the playoffs wasn't everything that we've just described. That offense that you're talking about that got bogged down and you know, didn't look pretty and look disorganized and Bud standing on the sideline, not doing much. You know, Giannis's biggest achievement is that he made that guy, that guy, a championship coach because all of the issues were still an issue, but he was so magnificent that it just didn't matter. Right. I'd love to know if he said, I'm not coming out of the game. I would love to know if he just said enough of this. The, the, The offense isn't moving. It's bogged down or, Middleton is taking over and not moving the ball or whatever the case is. It just didn't matter. And that to me is unbelievable. Inconceivable. I think the second biggest storyline here outside of Giannis and like, we're not disregarding his teammates, but Giannis is by far the biggest story here. It has to be Chris Paul, right, Josh? We got to talk about Chris. Yeah. I mean, Chris Paul, I mean, what can you say really at this point? Um, It's, it's a bummer. Um, I think a lot of people would have liked to have seen, CP3 win a title here, if only to like get the people to, you know, the people who only measure things in rings culture 
um, to get them to be kind of quiet about Chris Paul's legacy because Chris Paul is one of the greatest point guards of all time. Mm-hmm. We don't need, like, you know, it's not something we need to really di- dive too deeply into, but he is. He's he's on so many lists of, you know, any statistical measure, um, you know, especially advanced analytics. They love him. Um, he's a winning player. Uh, if you're, you know, if you're a Raptors fan, like, uh, you know, we are here. If you love Chris uh, Kyle Lowry, then you probably love Chris Paul's game because they are similar. Um, they are similar players. I actually wrote something not too long ago about how they they know it and they recognize it. And there's a kinship there between those guys because they play in a similar way where like every single possession they are maniacal. You know, they're they're trying to do every little thing to gain an edge constantly. And other people on other uh, fans of other teams they hate it because this guy's you know he's backing into a guy yes. trying to draw a foul. He's trying to go in between somebody's legs. He's talking to the ref after every whistle. Yeah, talking to the ref. But it's because they're so obsessive about the game. They they want to win at the highest level and they play at the highest level. Um, and you know, I, one of the things that sucks for Chris Paul is just that part of what's going to be attached to his legacy is that he got hurt in almost every single one of the big moments of his career. Uh, injuries hampered him, and we just never really got too many moments where we got to see healthy Chris Paul get an actual shot at it. You know, you, you just think about all the major career moments of his, and a lot of them just end up resulting in like, man, if he hadn't gotten hurt here. Imagine where we'd be now. I mean, you know, people still talk about the hamstring uh, against the Warriors when he was on the Rockets. Even um, before that, the Spurs, when he won in Spurs, Game yep. 7 on, what was it, ankle? And yeah, then- yeah. He was playing on one leg. Yeah, he hit the buzzer beater. Yep. Yeah, I mean, he's an incredible player. He's one of the greatest players of all time. And um, it's tough. I mean, he's 36. Uh, those injuries were, um, you know, he's playing with, uh, uh, he had partially uh, torn ligaments in his hand. Um, which clearly, you know, I, I can't imagine how difficult it is to dribble, let alone when, when I really noticed it the first time when he was, uh, he penetrated and he was kicking a pass out to the corner. Uh, and that's a, you know, that's a pass he makes right on the money a million times a game. And, uh, he just, it was just off. It was just a little too far. And Miles Bridges had to like take a step out and reach for it and get it. And by the time the defender had recovered and, uh, I was like, he's not right. There's just no way. Chris Paul makes that pass every single time. And so that's rough. That's that's kind of the thing you think about uh, that, you know, this may have been his last chance. We don't know. You know, and his uh, his future is still at the moment up in the air. I imagine, you know, on a team that just got to the NBA Finals, there's a good shot that he'll be with the Phoenix Suns next season. You think? Uh, but who knows? Ian, you think, right? I, I think you should take the last word here because the last time that we had a podcast was Sorry, two podcasts ago, probably a year and a half from from uh, from now or before now, I guess is the right way to put it. You ripped Chris Paul. So, or sorry, you ripped the media and their portrayal of Chris Paul versus how they portray Kyle Lowry. Apologies, I uh, reframe so, that. So, you well, get last I word on Chris think Paul. We need. I don't think we need to go too deep on Chris Paul because at the end, like we all know that at this stage of their careers, like Kyle Lowry is just a better player, right? Like <laughs> just is right. No, he just is like at this stage of his career, I would rather have Lowry than Paul, you know? So, but that's not where I want to go. I don't need to make this about a, a, a versus the Raptors thing. It's really hard. It's really hard to win the championship with a little guy as your best player. It's really hard. The last time we saw it was, what are we looking at? 1990? Well, 2000, I mean, 2015, Steph Curry. Yeah, but Steph Curry's 6'4". I'm True. talking about guys True. six you're not, foot you're, and below. You're talking little guy, not point guard. Okay, Little guy. Like, it's really hard. Isaiah Thomas. It's really hard. That's the last one. Right? Allen Iverson almost got there. And then what happened? The You know, the Lakers were too big. So, you know, it's just, it's really hard to do. And I think with with Chris, it's, that shows like, yeah, the injuries are part of it, but the injuries are there because when you're that small and you're asked to carry that load and you're that level of player, it's just, it's really hard at that size. And that's really what it is. And, and, you know, when, when the chips were really down and I know he was hurt, but in games five and six specifically, when the game wasn't gone yet, particularly in game five, it was there, right? That's when I need Chris Paul to get to that 12 footer, get to that 14 footer. You know, I, I want you to get get the switch and find a way to throw lobs to Aiton, like all of that sort of stuff. Now, obviously, Giannis was a, an absolute destroyer of worlds on that end, right? I mean, it was like nothing we've ever seen before, it feels like. 
you know, that's what you need. And when you're that size and if you're that banged up, it's just really, really, really hard to do. And that is why, you know, Josh, you, you mentioned lists, right? And Chris Paul's on the list. So there's no doubt. But there's a reason why he can never get to the Isaiah the Isaiah part of that list, the magic part of that list, obviously magic six, nine different story. But part of that was that at that moment when it needed to happen, no matter what with those two, it felt like it happened. And with Chris, it just doesn't. And that's not necessarily his fault. He's just not Isaiah Thomas. And that's okay. That's where I am with Chris Paul. It's not necessarily his fault, but uh, you know, all the league's history shows us that this never happens. And yet the media would say Chris Paul didn't have Kawhi. So you can't win without him. Speaking of the Raptors, let's pivot here. The Toronto Raptors are in a very precarious position right now, Mr. Howe. And this is going to be a very interesting six weeks. Not only is the draft coming up tomorrow, but I want to lay out what the Raptors are right now. Forget about Kyle Lowry. I'm not sure if you've heard Josh, but he is a free agent. Oh, I'm not is sure he? If it, oh, oh. I, oh, okay. So the greatest bre- player in franchise history. Breaking news: ah, uh, Kyle okay. Lowry is a free agent. Uh, it hasn't been mentioned on any media platform <laughs> at all. Um, let's just talk about what they are right now. And if this team, as it stands right now, was walking into the season as currently constituted, they can't sign UFAs. They can only keep their their RFAs. So right now, as it stands, the Raptors are going in with $105 million against the cap. That's without Gary Trent Jr.'s raise that you have to assume is going to be at least 10 to $15 million up from where it is right now. So call it about $120 million against the cap. They have seven non-guaranteed contracts, two of which total about $18 million, which are going to be very juicy. But here is their lineup right now. Their lineup, as we as we live and breathe, is Fred Van Vliet and Malachi Flynn at point guard, Rodney Hood and Gary Trent Jr. at shooting guard, OG, Bembry, Watanabe, and Watson at small forward, Boucher, Gillespie, Siakam at power forward, and Aaron Baines at center. Before we get to what you would do to fix this team, I want to know from both of you, if this Aaron is the Baines team back. Don't that worry. starts the season, little game, this is the, game, the team that starts the season, how confident would you be in this team? Yeah, I mean, I think they're probably, well, they're definitely a playoff team. And they're probably, like, at best, the second round out. Okay, good. Yeah. good. So we can start there. Ian, do you disagree? You think that they are what, as they currently... There's no Lowry, right? No Lowry. That's tough. I mean, uh, to me, you're dangerously thin. To me, I mean, you're dangerously we're, we're thin. We're going to get to changes. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a team that's going nowhere. And look, like, I'm sorry... Aaron Baines and Rodney Hood and all those other guys, I'm sure they're great people. They are going to be nowhere near this rotation. As the, as we're standing right now, do you believe that they are a playoff team? Feels 45 wins at max, and I would say 40 to 42. Perfect. That's probably the range. I mean, Siakam, Van Vliet, and Ananobi themselves are too good to not be a playoff team. So then let's get to... What we think those are three players. Those are three players better than Ben Simmons, after all. <laughs> Josh, this is a very important offseason, as we discussed before. We've already established that the floor of the Toronto Raptors is going to be in and around that six through nine range, if, if this is what we're talking about, as mm-hmm. it currently stands because of Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi, and Pascal Siakam. Mm-hmm. What is Josh Howe doing this offseason? You've been given the keys. Masai Ujiri is, you know, president of the United States. It's not, I don't think it's possible, but we'll give him that role. You've stepped in. You and Bobby Webster are killing the game. What are your priorities for this team, and how are you getting this team back into the top four? Wow. Um, wow. I mean, I mean every, everything starts with so much power. Um, everything starts and ends with Kyle Lowry in a way here uh, because not only just from the fact that, like, there's all the baggage with him, right, in terms of being the greatest raptor ever um which matters here is part of the reason like you know if if you're looking at this from an exterior perspective and you're say like uh, covering another team or fan of another team um the trade deadline scenarios must have seemed wild to you like i know most sixers fans thought it was absolutely insane that the raptors you know didn't take a deal there at the deadline for lowry uh, that they asked for so much but 
a lot of the intangible stuff with Kyle, it matters more to the Toronto Raptors than it matters to any other franchise because he is the greatest player in franchise history. And that matters a lot because this franchise has, has one of those guys, you know, uh, one of the best players in franchise history was here for one season, won a finals MVP and left, right. That's never happened before to any other franchise. The Raptors are very unique in a lot of different ways. Uh, you know, the other play, greatest player in franchise history never won a title, had a bad uh, outing with the Raptors in the end and left. So that kind of stuff matters a lot. Like the Raptors will work with Kyle to do whatever I think he wants in the end. Um, so you got to start there because you have all that. And then, you know, more from sort of like uh, analytical, cold, hard analytics stuff perspective, um, when it comes to the cap, uh, if you're keeping Kyle, you're going to be operating as an over-the-cap team. If Kyle leaves, you're operating as an under-the-cap team. And those are two right. different scenarios. If you're operating as an under-the-cap team, well, you're going to have some money uh, to throw around. And it depends. You know, you can make more or less depending on what your plans are. Like, you know, are, are you looking at going after a, a big man target that may be a little more expensive? Are you going to throw some money at Jared Allen? Um, that's something to look at. Are you going to go after Rashawn Holmes? Um you know, players like that, I think, are, are guys you'd be looking at in those scenarios. Um, if you're over the cap, Kyle Lowry comes back. You know, maybe, you know, depending on that deal, um, you're largely just looking to run it back. You give Gary Chant Jr. the raise that he wants, uh, so long as it's not insane. And, uh, you know, that's the kind of the group that you go back with. And, you you know, you continue to hope for some more development there. You bring in a number four pick, uh, whoever that ends up being. and. Uh, you know, they, you hope that that helps raise the ceiling a little bit. And, um, you know, that's kind of how you go into the season. So it's not like there would be like a tremendous amount of things um, you can do. There are two pretty clear directions. It just all hinges on an insanely enormous decision. Ian, speaking of Gary Trent Jr., why is everyone throwing out the 18 to $20 million price range instead of the Norman Powell $12 million price? Was it Norman Powell or Fred Van Vliet had the $12 million price tag? What, why is it now 18 to 20? He should be, he's a $15 million player at absolute maximum. I, I, right? I completely and, agree. And, and, and again, if we were going into negotiations and he's like, yeah, it's 20, well, then all the best, man. I mean, I, I you know, you're going to take this qualifying offer, you're going to accept an offer sheet somewhere else. Ciao. Um, and you know what? That's okay because Norm was leaving anyway. So yeah. you gave it a shot. Um, about the rest of it, we're in a really, really advantageous position. I know for a lot of Raptor fans, there's like this angst and this anxiety, and, and I get it, right? I mean, Kyle means that much. You know, obviously there's a difference because of accolades and the level of player, but when when you take Tim Duncan away from the Spurs, like there's real like hurt and pain there, right? So to watch that happen to a guy that you think of as highly, obviously not as good of a player, obviously. But you, for your organization, that's your Tim Duncan. It's him, right? And, and if if Tim at 35 or even earlier when he was thinking of going to Orlando bolted, that would be really hard. So pair that with the Masai Ujiri stuff. Is he coming back? Then there's this whole thing out there about there's crazy wacko trades with Simmons and Shea Gilgis-Alexander and all this other crazy stuff. And then on top of it all, you have all these leaks about how the Raptors are going to go outside of the top, the consensus top four. <laughs> and so, you know, and take, you know, Barnes or Kuminga or whoever. So I get it. Yeah. Like that's a lot, but if you're able to just like sort of dig through the dirt there and just see the situation for what it is, they have two players who are either have been an all-star or could be an all-star. And that's without Lowry in Van Vliet and Siakam. They have a serious, serious player on the rise in Ananobi. They got some good prospects. They potentially have cap space. And oh yeah, they have that juicy draft pick. They're in a good spot. We are not the Kings, the Cavaliers. Like I, I think everyone needs to appreciate where we are. But yeah, it's, it's, it's unprecedented times. Like when we look back, when, you know, when we sit and have this podcast, you know, five, 10 years from now, and we're going to talk about it. This offseason is like a real, like, defining moment of the organization's next wave. So my advice to Raptor fans is to be comfortable and feel good about where we are. Trust the management team. Trust the coaching staff. Trust the player, player development staff. But, like, 
I get the anxiety because it's just like super important and they can't mess this up. And yet none of you mentioned center. And if we're going to sit here and well, talk to be about- fair, jo- Joshua did mention Jared Allen did mention no, Rashawn I, Holmes. He mentioned center. True. Center. Very the, true. The center, the center market hinges on what they do with Lowry. If they pay Lowry the three years, 90 million or whatever the figure is that he wants well, then you're bargain bin shopping for centers again, or you're taking four and flipping it elsewhere. I hope that's not for Allen. That's far too much for him. Way or, too or I mean, hey, if, if somehow, I, I don't even say somehow, because I think it's entirely plausible, but if Mobley falls Mobley, to the Raptors Mobley, at right. four, yeah, yeah, then, yeah. They, then they're, I think then they'd start looking at wings instead, right? Or yeah, guards. for sure. And, and you're right. He did, it, Josh did mention um, Holmes and, and Allen. But I would say this, though. I do think that, Last year's Aaron Baines experiment has scarred me personally when it comes to the center position. This team doesn't just need a body. And I'm not saying that Jared Allen is a body or Rashawn Holmes is a body. I think they are very capable. But this team, with or without Lowry, needs a specific body. They need either, they need to be an elite scorer who can also defend the rim, or... They need an elite passer who can also defend the rim. And no one that we're talking about right now is that person. They are just what potentially we thought Aaron Baines could be, which is a guy who stands there with his arms up, draws a lot of screens, can roll to the basket. That's the piece, I think. I think the concern about playmaking is legitimate. If Lowry leaves, I do have concerns about playmaking in general and I think again if they're looking at guys like Barnes if they're looking at you know guys outside of that group that that has to be why that has to be why because I, I I do agree that's part of the beauty of Gasol is that even when there was the, that lack of playmaking when Lowry sat Gasol sort of was able to facilitate that movement mm-hmm. I, I don't think the center position is that deep to be honest with you I think you know if they get a guy who can just catch the ball I just need you to catch it right Aaron Baines he seems like a great guy. I feel awful for him. But like when it comes to catching the ball, like it just wouldn't happen. Lowry would hit him in the hands. He'd fumble it. So you can't have that. You got to be able to catch. You have to be able to protect the rim and set good screens. I think that needs to just be the start, right? I don't think we need to get into, we need to go five Marcus all because there's a reason Marcus all is one of one. There's a reason for that. We mentioned trades. Obviously, the most hilarious thing that everyone saw this week was Daryl Morey drunk dialing Masai Ujiri, asking for OG and Fred Van Vliet and the fourth overall pick for Ben Simmons. So, But I'm going to ask you this, Josh. Do you see a fit for Ben Simmons on this team? Um, you know, I had some conversations with some people about this. Um because initially, not really, right? And I figured that if there was going to be that kind of trade, that Simmons would be rerouted to a third team uh, and that the Raptors would uh, gain their you know, additional assets that way. Um, because from the jump, uh, doing, uh, you know, getting Lowry to the Sixers, which is you know, what would kind of make that go, uh, is, is really tough because it has to be a sign-and-trade Sign and trades hard cap teams. In that case, the Sixers have a lot of committed money between, you know, Harris and Bede and Simmons. They pretty much have to send out one of those guys. If they're, you know, sending out Simmons and they're sending out Simmons, you're matching salaries there. Lowry makes a lot. Um, you know, he's got a $39 million cap hold. And um, the Sixers are going to want more than just Kyle Lowry for Ben Simmons. And so, like, you know, those trades, the more you think about sure. them, t- Tend to fall. Well, he. I mean, he would definitely uh, be exactly what they need, right? And like what they needed at the deadline. What they needed at the deadline. Freaking months ago. Exactly. I, I totally agree. With you. Him. Yeah. What the Lake? Who else was it? him? The Lakers and the Heat, but they wouldn't part with Tyler Hero, Matisse Thybul, and Tyler Horton Tucker. Taylor. Taylor. Horton Taylor, Tucker. Taylor yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. I mean, the the late. I I didn't really like any of the packages, to be honest, except for the. Uh, Sixers won if I was uh, the Raptors, yeah. but uh, um, yeah, I you know, Larry, uh, so that's kind of how that would have to work. So if you're assuming, um, you know, Larry's gone, you bring it in Simmons, um, you're largely keeping the rest of the same core. The first thing that jumps out is like the offensive 
end is going to be a struggle at times. Um, yeah, there's definitely ways they can score, right? The number one way would be transition because that yes. team would be monstrous. If monstrous. you have Siakam on that team, Ben Simmons on that team, OG Ananobi on that team, Fred Van Vliet on that team, I don't know who's scoring because uh, those guys are going to be everywhere. Um, and they will get out in transition. And if you say, if you can say one positive thing about Ben Simmons' offensive game, it's that in transition, he is a monster. He's so athletic. He's so fast. He gets down the floor extremely quickly, moves so well. Um, you know, he's dunking on guys. He's great. Let, let me take, Joshua, let me take that image one step further. Add subs. Yeah, exactly. Right. Suggs is that he's, and you know what's funny is like, I really do think Suggs is the most likely guy to come in Toronto at four. Um, and he's, he's exactly the most Raptors guy of that so group. Perfect. Right. He's, he's, uh, you know, he's a little bit of work on the shooting, but he's got some pick and roll. Um, he, his handle's a little loose, but he's got the game there. Like you can see it. He just needs to develop it. Um, but he gambles. He loves to gamble for steals. He's flying through passing lanes. He tries so hard. He's a hustler. Um, yeah, it's a very Raptorsy type game. He's a gritty guy. He got the leadership as his reputation. Um, very Raptorsy. So you add that guy in there. That's even more of that. Um, he's super fast and athletic out in transition. Right. He'd be whipping down the floor. He's the kind of guy that, you know, a guard who can get up for alley oops. Um, and so that would be really fun. It's it's the half court offense when it comes to the playoffs and stuff that that you're starting to be concerned, right? I mean, like I, no one's going to forget that like the Sixers had to sub out Ben Simmons in key playoff moments because he couldn't hit free throws. I mean, that's just, that's tough when you're paying a guy that much money uh, to be one of your franchise players and you're trying to go places with that guy. Cause I mean, you know, what else are you paying him for? And he can't be in moments of the game like that, that, you know, that's tough. Even for all the great things he brings, that's tough. And uh, the Raptors already, you know, they're, surprisingly pretty good on offense last year um but uh to fit there with simmons and taking away lowry uh it definitely bogs things down to a significant degree so i think there would be concerns there obviously um there's some things you could do creatively obviously that the sixers have done in the past to get simmons uh, going in the half court and stuff like that but uh there's ups and downs to it for sure i desperately want to see ben simmons with his own team mm -hmm. this isn't that team but Another trade target. Hold on. Is, Hold is on. One Shea. thing on Simmons. One thing on Simmons. Really quick. Really quick. Sure. You have to empower Simmons. You have to, you, you know, build around not necessarily, that guy. Yeah, not necessarily hand him the keys, but empower him. If you want to go out and make mistakes, go make mistakes. And, you know, I, I think the beauty of someone like Simmons is that if I can channel his Draymond Green potential, with that LeBron-esque freight train transition game, he does solve your playmaking problem because he can really pass. Now, if I'm playing him as my point center and he embraces that sort of role and becomes a willing screener and becomes a willing diver or on dump-offs is making that extra pass a la Figures, Draymond, out, a, figures it, out a post game, right. And it, it makes sense. Yeah. It makes some sense. You know, now... I'm talking Lowry, Malachi Flynn, and a pick down the road. We are not talking, you know, Fred Van Vliet, Ananobi, Siakam, number four. All of that is completely or sign off the table. Or sign and trade with Lowry and four for sign and trade with Lowry. It, four, four is untouchable with that. If you want us to take a gamble on Simmons so you guys can have Lowry, we'll have that discussion. Anything else is a no. But I, I am intrigued because. Again, it's funny, you know, Raptor fans trash Simmons forever. And then they, the idea of him coming and people are like, ooh, you know, talking themselves into upside. Good point. But Good there point. is there is clear, clear upside there. I mean, that's not debatable. No, like Joshua, if he makes the change and becomes, you know, turbocharged Draymond, it does make some sense. Yeah. I mean, look, he's, a, look, he's an all defensive level guy, right? Adding any guy like that to a team uh, at the age that he's at. It's it's not like that he wouldn't be useful, right? It's crazy to me how like a lot of the dialogue amongst NBA fans and partly perpetuated by the media is like guys are either awesome or they suck, and there no there seems to be no like nothing in here, right? Uh, which is where most of the guys in the NBA are, right? They're right. not all LeBron, and they're not all the guy at the end of the bench who barely gets to play. A lot of them are in the middle. So I I've said this a lot about Ben Simmons and. 
I think that for him just to take the step that's needed to, we talk about turbocharged Draymond, just become someone of that ilk, just in that same mold. The one thing that Draymond is willing to do is at least try and shoot, right? So he's not good at it, but if he's open, he'll shoot. It goes in 22% of the time, but at least he shoots. And I think that's what Ben Simmons needs. It may not go in, but shoot. Because then at least you're drawing a defender a step closer than the elbow when you're standing outside outside of the three-point line. And that's the big thing here is, in my opinion for Ben, just shoot. The the one thing... It may not go in, but it it does a lot of good for your team. By the way, I absolutely agree with you. The Draymond stuff, though, like we wanted Aaron Gordon. Zach Lowe, one of Zach Lowe. I adore Zach Lowe. It's unbelievable. One of Zach Lowe's biggest thing is that he always wanted Aaron Gordon to more embrace his Draymond. Draymond is a mentality. That's not a human person. Like being a Draymond takes a special mentality, right? Kevin Garnett had it. Draymond Green had it. There's very there's a very select group of people that will adapt their game because that's what makes the team win. And that will change their game and and funnel that attitude into you know all world little stuff, all world defense, all world screen setting, all would all world second passes, right? There's only a certain level, you know, rescreening. It takes a certain level of person. That Draymond mentality isn't very, you don't see it very often in the NBA. So like, even when I'm saying, you know, I would advocate for a Simmons trade if it was just a Lowry thing and he wanted to go there. But even as I'm saying it, it's like, it seems silly because we keep saying, oh, he can be Draymond. But there's a reason there's only one of those guys is because that mentality is so rare. It's an incredible point. And it completely nullifies my entire green, my, my entire argument because you know why Ben Simmons won't just shoot is because Ben Simmons doesn't think he's going to make it. Draymond Green thinks he's making every single fucking shot that he takes. That's the difference. He, or he's, and, and or every he's afraid of the disappointment when he misses. Right. And, and Draymond doesn't care. Draymond's like, every Warriors fan's in the stadium going, no. I'm a three-time champion. And he's like, like, why do I care? Oh, yeah. Like, he is <laughs> Macho Man Randy Savaging that three-point shot every single time that he does it. But we could talk about this forever. We're not going to get to, Sh- to Shea Gildas Alexander. We're not going to get to the, more of the Raptors from hey, a no, no, roster on. construction. What? Two minutes, two minutes on SGA. What, Josh, what is the SGA trade that you would make and feel comfortable with? Oh, man. Um, well, I mean, look, this is a good time to admit that I love SGA, like a lot. I'm, I'm really high on SGA. This guy on a awful team last season right not a good team good pieces not a good basketball team they were made to be that way they're tanking they're trying to get all the picks Presti wants all the picks uh, just every single one that exists um he wants to go to the club and just be handing out picks but uh yeah um this guy was like he was leading the nba in drives and you know shooting an insane percentage uh off of those shots and I mean, this guy had no spacing, right? He's playing in lineups with Lou Dort, who like, you know, improving, but uh, not a dead eye shooter. Um, you know, uh, just a t- just a team that did not have a lot of shooting, did not have a lot of uh, offensive uh, prowess at all. He was the guy leading all that charge, and somehow, just incredible numbers despite all that. Um, you know, got hurt partway through the season, and, and obviously needed to. Um, rehab there a bit and the team ended up just shutting them down because they're tanking need some work on defense uh okay there has time to improve super young um a great playmaker and just i think you put him on you know a team that's a playoff team um i think he raises your ceiling for sure and he's got a long way to go so uh, i'm really high on that guy i think if you're the raptors um obviously again it, it depends on the deal but um I think you consider giving up a fair amount of stuff for a guy like SGA. I think he is a franchise level player. Um, I think he can be that guy. I think he can be the best guy on the team uh, next to a Siakam. Say Siakam and him are on the same team. I think it's not inconceivable that he's the best player on that team between those two guys. I think he's a better player right now than Van Vliet is. Um, Yeah, I I mean, 
uh, obviously not defensively, but I'm just overall. Um, and I, and I'm a huge fan of Van Vliet as well. He took a lot right. of strides this past season, but, uh, I'm really high on SGA. So obviously depends on the deal, but, uh, I think you look at that real hard. If, if, if Sam Presti came to the Raptors and said, Hey, we really want number four. Um, and we're looking to make some kind of package there. Uh, yeah. He's the guy I'm giving four. up for. He's the guy I'm giving up for, yeah. for, for. Yeah. Because him and Freddie on the same team. They'd fit is, so snug. And, and yeah. with, with, with Shea's mid-range game, especially those floaters, mm-hmm. in the playoffs, what that would open up for Siakam, who is supposed to be that guy, with Shea's vision. Yes, we can. We, uh, don't don't worry, Shay. We we got you on defense. This the fit there is extremely tantalizing, and that mm-hmm. is that. I love Suggs. He's the guy I would draft, it, basically outside of the top two. But yeah, he's better than Suggs. He's, he's better, better than, than Suggs. Suggs. Uh, you know, I, I, and I, I like him high on Suggs as well. But I go. I feel comfortable going for Flynn in a future, no problem. But you can't touch pieces of the core. Not happening. So let's get to the draft. We only got a little bit of time here, but we're going to cover what needs to be covered. As we've mentioned, the Raptors do have the fourth overall pick in the NBA draft after after moving up from seven. So let's go with this, Josh. Who, in order, you're on record, is going to go one through four. And then I'll follow up with a Joshua Howe as the new GM of the Toronto Raptors. So who is going one through four in Thursday's NBA draft? Okay. So if I had to guess, I think it's going to go Cunningham number one. I think the Pistons are a lot of talk, but I think they take Cunningham. Uh, They should take Cunningham. Um, So I think Cunningham goes one. Um, I think Houston takes Jalen Green. I think they like him a lot. Talked a lot about him. I think he fits pretty well there. Um, a lot to like. Lots of like. I really like Jalen Green too. If he was somehow available to the Raptors, uh, that would be a, a great pickup too. Um, I I do think Cleveland takes Mobley. Um, a lot of noise out there about that. Um, I've heard it multiple places. Um, they even like the idea of pairing him with Allen um, as sort of the you know the big men pairing of the future for them. Um, and they have a lot of guards, right? Uh, They've got a few, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and and they're looking at like you know, there's talk too about them moving a uh, um, Sexton. Uh, Sexton, yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, there's some stuff in the works in Cleveland, but I've heard a lot about them like Mobley, which of course you know, there's some people think Mobley should go number one, so why wouldn't they? Uh, and then I do think Toronto. You know, it's it's impossible to know with uh, Masai because. I mean, this dude does his work. Uh, he looks into everything. Um, he's not going to just, like, not look into a prospect because you think he shouldn't go top four. He's going to do his due diligence. I think that's a good thing, obviously. Um, I think they should be looking at every option available. Um, but I would still put my money on the Raptors taking slugs at four. Um, and I think he's just – I think he's just sort of in a tier – I've heard some conversations about this, and it does seem to me – from what I've seen and the research that I've managed to do that Suggs is sort of like in a, in a mini in between tier in like his own spot in the draft where there's kind of the top three guys. You could see them possibly being interchangeable. Although I do think Cunningham's a pretty clear number one. Um, and then you got Suggs kind of in his own and then it drops off a little bit when you get into the Kamingas and the Barnes and, mm-hmm. and those kind of guys. So I think that's where you get to in the top four. I, I'm predicting the exact same. The only thing that I would argue is I think Mobley and Cunningham are closer than Green and Cunningham are. I think that Mobley is, with everything that he does, the team that he played on, he had no one good on his team. (laughs) Basically, almost dragged that team to the Elite Eight. And he, Ian, I know you want to talk about Mobley as well, but if he falls to four, there's parades in the streets. Of Toronto, yeah. I, if he falls to if he falls to four and that pick isn't in with nine fifty nine left on the pick clock or whatever it is in the NBA, then I I don't know what to say. I mean, if he's there, he's going. I just to don't me, like. I, though, one more point, Ian. Sorry, buddy. I just I don't like all the smoke around Barnes. There's a lot of Barnes talk in Toronto, and not that 
in Masai we trust, in Bobby we trust. But there's a lot of talk. Ian, top four. By the way, that's who the Raptors are taking. That's who the Raptors are taking. Probably. They're taking Barnes. Oh, Barnes. Uh, sorry. It just, it, that's what's happening. That's what's happening. Because it would not be a Masai Ujiri draft without that happening. And whether it's in a trade down, you know, Suggs is too, I love Suggs. Suggs is, it's too easy for them. You know what I'm saying? It's just not like them. So I think that they're either jumping down to get Barnes at six, they take him outright at four, or they move out of the pick altogether. But for whatever reason, Suggs should be a slam dunk. He is the perfect sort of pass the torch guy from Van Vliet to Lowry, or sorry, Lowry to Van Vliet, and then eventually Van Vliet to Suggs, right? That sort of, that lineage makes sense. But I think they look at this Barnes thing as a, ooh, he could play with Siakam and OG, right? And and that can be our front court. I, I, I don't know why, but I would be smashing Barnes right now. I'm, I'm feverishly, I don't know if you can see me. I'm he's, feverishly he's looking, looking, up, he's looking up odds. To what the odds are. Can I make you and feel better? the fourth pick, Scotty Barnes is plus 300. Can I make you feel better? It's almost a certainty. That Orlando is walking away with Barnes and Kaminga in this draft. Two well, guys, it's Orlando. Two guys with weird ceilings <laughs> that can defend and, oh, in theory, can defend and have no offensive game. Like that's what we're walking away with here. Um, Josh, on the draft, who is your most intriguing team? Because I think there's obviously Oklahoma City, Houston, Golden State. We have multiple teams with multiple first round picks. Who's your most intriguing team walking into the draft? That's a good question. I, I think, like, outside of the teams that are in the uh, top four, top five, which are the ones I've been paying the most attention to, um, I am interested to see what Golden State actually ends up doing just because, like, <laughs> the rumors that have been going on for so long about the number seven pick and Wiseman and just, you know, just wanting to put that that pairing into every single trade scenario possible has been It's hilarious. the Warriors version of Kuzma KCP. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's I love it, you know. All the memes coming out of it were incredible. Um but uh, I am I'm curious legitimately to see it because you'd think there'd be more noise about a trade there and there really hasn't been almost anything. But you think there would be more because this is a team that next year they legitimately seem to believe that they are going to try to bounce back into contending or at least onto like a deep playoff run that they're going to have Steph, you know, ready to go. He was immaculate this season. Um, that Clay Thompson will be back. Uh, that Draymond will be healthy and ready to go. Um, and, uh, you know, and possibly uh, hang on to Wiggins. I, I imagine if they're going to make a trade though, Wiggins would be part of the package just because of his salary, but they really do like Wiggins, which is, I everything I can tell about it is legitimate. Like they really believe that, you know, he could be a part of the team. So they're not just going to give him away for whatever. Um, but I am curious to see how they kind of tackle that, knowing that like that window is small, man. They've got, you know, those guys have had injuries too. They're not just in their thirties, um, but they've had Ask the Sixers about a window. Yeah, exactly. Right. And nothing is, we talk about there's always the dynasty talk right in the nba and stuff about like oh well this team you know they've got put together the nets got put together and they're going to win the title it's it's that easy because they've got the three best players in the east or whatever blah 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 um that didn't happen because to win a title in the nba is so incredibly hard if you win one title you know and toronto fans <laughs> can attest to this like you win one and everything changed. You remember it forever. If you never win another one, well, guess what? You still had that one. You had your one time. It is so hard to get there. So many franchises in the NBA have never even won a title. You know, that's it's a very it's a very precarious perch you're sitting on. But if that's the direction they're going to go, I'm just I'm not sure how they can really look to like hang on to uh, that pick. And you know, picks inherently have more value before. A player is drafted. Yep. So it's just I'm just looking at that team going into the draft, thinking like they're big. There's got to be something, right? And we haven't heard anything, but it's like there's got to be something that they're trying to look to do. Uh, but 
who knows? So I, I wouldn't be surprised though, if they come out of the word work and uh, it's golden state making a trade to somewhere for somebody. The, to me, the most intriguing team is Cleveland because, okay. you know, I, I like Orlando too, but Orlando's sort of in a position like unless they're going to get real aggressive to try and jump up with the Cleveland, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're going to be competing against Oklahoma City and that's just not going to work out because Oklahoma City can just overwhelm anybody with picks. But to me, it's Cleveland, right? Like the only player on Cleveland I could see them not trading is Darius Garland. Like that, that guy to me feels like he's kind of untouchable. Isaac Okoro, like we just don't know yet. Um, you know, but that's a team who could, you know, if wait, I was a, Cleveland, wait, a player on Cleveland is untouchable. I'd say Garland. I, I don't know that he's untouchable. Like if someone called me for him, I'd obviously trade him. I just mean with, within, <laughs> so not, within so not the, untouchable. <laughs> no, like within the narrative right now, you hear no Garland buzz. You hear that's buzz true. like, Ooh, they could sign and trade Jared Allen. Ooh, you know, they could trade Sexton. Oh, they could trade three and go down. Like there's so many avenues for them to go. And look, the first call I'd be making if if I was the management team there is I'd be calling Washington. Be like, hey, if it's three and Sexton, where are we on Beal? Right? Like now I know he said he's he's not, you know, asking for a trade, et cetera, et cetera. But that is a package with that pick because of the player that will be there. I can hunt like a super duper star with the, with those assets. And now, are they going to go there? Because what is Beal, Garland, and Jared Allen? You know, that feels like a six seed to me. But, you know, again, it's just one of those things where they can pivot in so many directions. I just think they're super interesting. Yeah, the, the easy answer is Oklahoma City, just because they have so many kicks of the can. I'm going to say Memphis, because I still don't know what the hell they were doing with that trade. Uh, I'm not, like, they took two of the worst contracts in basketball back for, what, four spots in the draft? and. I don't know, man. Like, I thought Giannis was really seven good slots. I thought it, either way, it, they're intriguing me. Is like, all right, what are you guys doing? Um, so we only got a couple minutes here. They don't miss though. They don't miss like that. That draft team recently just hasn't missed. So then, with the top ten pick, is a whole lot more intriguing than having something post lottery. I would say they've missed on JJJ so far. Am I the first one to ever criticize JJJ? Because you got to play to be impactful. And I know it's not entirely I mean, his fault. Obviously, it's not entirely his fault. Injuries happen. It's it's a thing. But that they're intriguing me. And again, they're intriguing me because they do hit on a lot of picks. Brandon Clark, Dylan Brooks, John, John Morant, JJ Desmond Bain, they Xavier Tillman. They like got, they nail them they all. Got guys, they got guys. Oklahoma City is obviously very intriguing. Orlando, what long wing or big that can't play offense are they going to draft? That's very intriguing as well. But I love that you pick Cleveland because it, Cleveland's intriguing because whoever Cleveland doesn't take, Toronto's going to take. I, I love that. That's you know bringing it back to the Raptors. So let's end on two quick notes. Um, Joshua, what the fuck is going on with Masai Ujiri? <laughs> Uh, well, I wish I had the inside information to tell you. Because Bobby um, says he's working, which is good. Yeah, I mean, look, the good news is there that Masai, for all appearances, seems to be absolutely locked in to his job. Um, It does not seem to be that concerned about uh, anything but the work at the moment. Um, And, like, look, I I just, I don't think when you talk about anything in the past year and a half, and especially with the Toronto Raptors organization, that you can talk about anything and not think about the effects that the pandemic has, has had on everything. I mean, it's just gotta be like, I don't, I don't blame someone who is in a position that basically is like ML, you know, MLSE should just be saying, obviously, how much do you want? We'll send you the check, right? That's the position he's in. Um, there should be a jury statue outside Scotiabank arena one day. Um, he is a huge part of what has changed this franchise around. But, uh, you know, so, so after all this time, this exhausting year and a half, if the guy just wants to like wait a little longer, lock himself into the work and, you know, just go through the draft and kind of get to free agency. And, you know, he kept making it about how he also wanted to lock up his staff to new deals too. you know, nurse got resigned. Um, Webster signed a new deal. Um, you know, so the, he wanted to make sure that that sort of groundwork was laid first. That's happening. Um, I don't mind at all that he's taking his time. I'm not too freaked out about it. Um, you know, the, the the factors that people talk about um, with Ujiri when it comes to other NBA franchises, it's always like, well, 
you know, now he's had a championship team in Toronto. He's been the architect of that team. Maybe he wants to do, you know, start with a new challenge. And that's always the thing, right? You know, start with a new challenge, something he hasn't done and build a new team from whatever. And it's like, well, he, he kind of has that opportunity now, right? Like he, he has a top uh, four pick in the draft and this isn't a team that's a contender right now. And, um, you know, there is still a lot of work to be done to, to take Toronto back. They're in such a unique position that even after they won the title, their best player uh, left and uh, uh, just changed the direction of things. So um, I, I think there's a lot of challenges still in Toronto. Um, so when people bring that up, I don't really find it that interesting. I think if he leaves, it would honestly be for something maybe even outside of like an NBA franchise, like NBA Africa or something. He's, you know, because he's so connected. Um, uh, to those programs. Uh, and I, I could see that kind of thing happening if he wanted a different role in something like that. But uh, I just, I'm not too concerned about it. Uh, and I probably won't be until he either says that he's resigning or that he is going somewhere else. So I was going to pivot for the last comment to be about DeMar DeRozan, who went with Shannon Sharp and had a great clip talking about how at this point in his career, he is very focused on winning. They had a very, you know, very comical and open conversation about how, yes, winning and making money has to be balanced. Tomorrow answered it perfectly. I've made a lot of money in my career. That is obviously something that I want to do. But obviously winning is a part of it. And then legit 24 hours later, it comes out that there is mutual interest between him and the Washington Wizards, which I cannot imagine of a franchise if you want to lose more to go to than the Washington Wizards. But we're not going to go there. I've already done that piece. So I'm going to do a quick roundtable. Masai Ujiri, Kyle Lowry, Joshua Howe. Okay. One, Lowry's here, Masai's here, both or none. Um, just from most realistic and likely scenario. Yep. Um, it's really tough cause I'm personally torn on the Lowry thing, but I will probably say Masai is still here. Uh, and I will say Lowry goes. And I think if Lowry goes, I think he goes to Miami. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Little twist there. Yeah. Ian. I think what happens tomorrow night is going to tell us a lot. Yeah. And. I'm with you, Josh. I think I think Masai is staying. It's nerve-wracking, but he's staying. And if he leaves, it's to run NBA Africa, run an EPL team, or run the UN, for all I know. <laughs> so I think that is... I feel comfortable about that. I'm also conflicted on Lowry, because if it were me, he wants three years, 90 million. Here it is. Signed today. But if they... If tomorrow they take Barnes which I think they're going to do. If they take Barnes, that signals to me that Lowry either stays or there's a massive sign-in trade where a guard's coming back. If they take Suggs, that to me feels like, okay, ciao. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that Lowry still wouldn't do the sign-in trade, but I think tomorrow is going to be telling because I love Suggs. But if you re-sign Lowry, it's because you intend you want to take care of your guy and you intend to win. If you intend to win, using that juicy of an asset on a redundant player doesn't feel all that wise. So tomorrow night, I, I'll have a better answer for you. But my gut says Masai stays. I don't want to answer Kyle. It hurts my feelings. I agree with you, <laughs> Joshua. I think uh, I think Masai stays. Yeah. I think Kyle goes. And I think he deserves to. I think if this is what he wants to do, he should do whatever he wants. Do whatever he wants. Yeah, whatever he wants. Whatever he wants. And the team will help him do whatever he wants for sure. Exactly. Yeah, they, you won't, made that, they won't be grumbling. You made that point early. Whatever. Yeah. What, yeah, they, what, they what he wants to do. Yeah. And and you know, it's funny. I do think like if if not with already something in the works, I think the Raptors are very poised uh, to be ready to do something tomorrow night, the uh, trade wise. Um, just because if only because I don't know if you guys saw or not, but uh they pushed back Rodney Hood's um, they did. Yep. guarantee date. Guaranteed. Right? And one of the only reasons I can see for them doing that is just, uh, you know, uh, in terms of having extra uh, trade trade asset um, that they can use. So I, I don't, because I didn't, I don't expect Rodney Hood to be on the team next season. Oh, so. the additional 10 million contract. Right. He has right. a cap. Yeah, and right. for Rodney, and for Rodney, it makes sense because it gives him a better chance that someone locks him into that 10 million rather than he's, Guaranteed getting the minimum in free. Right, right. Yeah. It's it's a low it's for him it makes total sense. Low risk doesn't 
pushing back the date doesn't bother him much. But I think the Raptors' only reason they would do that is just to have that on the table if they need it. Um, so I think, I think that's something signaling that could be some stuff already in the works. I'm sure there've been a ton of conversations, but uh, at the very least, uh, they're poised and ready to go if something uh, develops. Josh, we have a lot of fun with you on here. You bring a really, a, a really unique and fun perspective to the Raptors, and we really enjoy having you. So, Ian, let's sign us off, buddy. Masai, Bobby, please. Please don't do this thing with Barnes, man. Like, please, like, I believe in you and I will follow you to the depths of hell. But, like, don't do that because you're going to kill us. You're going to, Raptors Twitter is going to complete, is every single one of them on Raptors Twitter is going to poo their pants. So, like, let's just avoid that. Please, please, let's do our best here. Thank you again, Josh, for coming on. It was a blast as always. And, Sai, Bobby, please. Thanks.